Chapter 1 That Place of Sunshine Over her lifetime, Svetlana often would take out the photographs from her early childhood and muse over them, experiencing that lovely, brutal nostalgia of photos trapping time. Her mother had always been the one with the camera taking the pictures. Everyone at the family gatherings was so young and alive, so simple and ebullient, wearing a picnic face. The first six and a half years of her life, until her mother's death in 1932, were, in Svetlana's mind, the years of sun. She would speak of that place of sunshine I call my childhood. Who can live without personal retrospect? We will always glance back to our childhood, for we are shaped deep in our core by the impress of our parents, and we will always wonder how that moulding determined us. Svetlana willfully believed in her happy childhood, even as she gradually understood that it was secured by untold bloodshed. What was it about this strange childhood that she would always turn to it for solace? Svetlana grew up in the Kremlin, the citadel of the Tsars, a walled fortress on the edge of the Moskva River. Almost a small autonomous village, but with imposing towers, cathedrals and palaces centred on Cathedral Square with massive gates opening onto Red Square and the city beyond. One might think this royal fortress was impossibly grand, but when she was born there in 1926, the second child of Joseph and Nadezhda, Nadia Stalin, the Russian Revolution was only nine years old. The public would always see her as the princess in the Kremlin, but her father's Bolshevik discipline dictated a relatively modest life. The Stalins lived in the old Pocheshny Palace, a three-storey building erected in 1652. It was known as the Amusement Palace and served as a theatre for comic performances until, in the 19th century, it housed the offices of the Okhrana, the Tsar's secret police. The Pocheshny retained its elegant theatrical chandeliers and carpeted staircase, up which the Stalins climbed to their gloomy, high-ceilinged apartment on the second floor. Svetlana remembered that apartment. There was a room for the governess, and a dining room large enough to have a grand piano in it. In addition, there was a library, Nadia's room, and Stalin's tiny bedroom in which stood a table with telephones. There were two rooms for the children. She shared hers with her nanny. A kitchen, the housekeeper's room, and two bathrooms. Wood-burning stoves heated all the rooms. As she described it, it was homely with bourgeois furniture. Families of other Bolshevik leaders lived across the lane in the horse guards building and casually dropped by. In keeping with the ideology of the party, there was no private property. Everything belonged to the state, down to the wine glasses and silverware, which meant in the end that everything was up for grabs. In the early days, even party members had ration cards for food, but their use was hypothetical. In a country where the populace was starving, there was always enough food for the intimate soirees when the party magnates gathered in one another's apartments. All the leaders were assigned one of the country datchers, abandoned by the rich upper classes who had fled in the early days of the revolution. When Svetlana was born, on February the 28th, she entered an already crowded household. Her brother, Vasily, had been born five years earlier, on March the 21st, 1921. 
The story went around that Nadia, demonstrating Bolshevik austerity and an iron will, had walked to the hospital after dinner to deliver her son. Once the ordeal was over, she phoned home to congratulate Stalin. Svetlana's half-brother, Yakov Drugashvili, the child of Stalin's first marriage, had also joined the household in 1921. Yakov was 19 years older than Svetlana and would become her champion until his brutal death in a Nazi POW camp. Family life had a Chekhovian quality, with relatives wandering into and out of the Kremlin apartment. There were two branches of the family, the Aliluyevs and the Svanitsyas. Nadia's own family constantly visited. By now, the large clan included Nadia's parents, Olga and Sergei Aliluyev, her brothers, Fyodor and Pavel, Pavel's wife, Yevgenia, Zhenya, her sister Anna, and Anna's husband, Stanislav Redens. All the family members would come to play tragic parts in the Stalin narrative. The Svanidzia branch arrived from Georgia in 1921, shadows out of Stalin's past. In 1906, when the Georgian-born Joseph Stalin was still just a local agitator, fermenting revolution under the codename Soso, he married the sister of a school friend and fellow underground revolutionary, Alexander Alyosha Svanitsya. In those pre-revolutionary days, when the triumph of the Bolsheviks seemed impossibly distant, Svanitsya's three sisters ran an haute couture fashion house in Tiflis, the Blissi, called Atelier Hervieux. 